Welcome to the CPA Podcast. My name is Eric. I'm the Communications Specialist for the Canadian Psychological Association. In a couple of weeks, November 5th and 6th, the CPA will be holding a two-part virtual workshop on diversity and inclusion. Joining me today is the host of that workshop. Um, my name is uh, Tanaya Manimo. I go by TK, um, but my full name is uh, Tanaya Comborero Manimo. Um, my background is in adult uh, adult education, and prior to me becoming a, a self-employed person, you know, dedicated to educating people and increasing awareness around diversity and inclusion, um, I was working in the educational sector as well. And diversity and inclusion is a big topic, and it's a broad topic, and it's also something that is currently top of mind for a lot of people. So part of my role, or what I hope to do, is to help navigate some of these areas and help people continue their conversations and have courageous conversations. In your day-to-day, how do you go about doing that? Uh, Do you have clients who come to you and say, help us become more diverse and inclusive at our company? Uh, yes, ab- yes, absolutely. But I mean, a, a lot of it uh, surrounds training and awareness, right? Or when it comes to diversity and inclusion, I believe anyway that, you know, you're going through a journey of first awareness and then knowledge and then practice, right? It's not something that takes place overnight. And organizations are in different places, People are in different places individually. So depending on where that organization is and and what their particular need is, that's when we assess, we advise, and then hopefully we, we assist. So does that mean that more often than not, you're starting with the awareness, but on occasion you might be able to start at a further step along the path? Uh, absolutely, yes. Yeah, yeah. Most of the time I am starting with the awareness pieces, but there are many organizations that have their own diversity and inclusion strategies and things that they've been doing and where they may need assistance is more so on the accountability and on the navigating piece of um, making sure that it's all implemented accordingly, right? And some of the times it's about refreshing and getting up to date with what is new in the world of diversity and and inclusion. And I mean, uh, and a lot of the links are also really related to to human rights and understanding human rights. So organizations may have a diversity and inclusion strategy, but then through that, through processes, you know, they discover that there's other things that they could probably use in their organization that help to foster more diversity and inclusion, such as having a respectful workplace policy, code of conduct policy, sexual harassment policy, uh, things that continue in the path of the journey because diversity is at the end of the day all of our differences. I'm curious about uh, one thing in particular when it comes to that and that's I've heard two schools of thought on this which is uh, basically anti-racism training that companies sometimes uh, bring in for their staff and I've heard a lot of people say that it can work and a lot of people say that it can't work. Do you think that it can in one way or another, or by the time you have to do that, is it too late? Uh, no, no, I certainly think it, it it can work, and I don't think there's ever a point in time or where it's either too early or too late for people to start uh, more intentionally engaging in um, um, anti-racism uh, 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 um, anti-black racism training or any education. Now, 
what it comes down to, especially with, when it comes to elements of diversity and inclusion, there's ones that we can sometimes specifically focus on. Um, when organizations do ask that sometimes and say, okay, well, we want to do, uh, you know, an, an, an anti-black racism training, um, I very often tend to ask the question, you know, okay, have you done anything generally when it comes to racism? Um, in general, what is your basic understanding of, you know, racism and the elements that surround racism? Because a fundamental knowledge of some of these basic things is really helpful for for anyone one as they're going into their journey of wanting to learn more or dig deeper into some of these other topics. So uh, definitely don't discourage discourage it, but at the same time, you can have organizations that want to have an anti-black racism uh, training day, but are willing to spend most of that day, you know, going through a lot of the other fundamental elements before they get to where they need to. So it's 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 usually it usually depends on you know what the organization is looking for and the outcomes uh, uh, to be met to make sure that they are also specific and, and, and measurable as well. I imagine that one of the things that becomes sort of a sticking point, and I see that you're going to touch on this a little bit in the workshop you're doing for the CPA, but I imagine microaggressions uh, becomes a fairly significant topic. I think because it may be difficult for a lot of people to wrap their head around what that actually is. Uh, yes, you know, I, I mean, it's, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I mean, uh, people experience things in, in, in different ways. And when it comes to uh, microaggressions, these are subtle actions, right? You know, these are subtle actions that, you know, could be intentional or, or unintentional. You know, most of the time they are predominantly, you know, a, uh, uh, being directed towards, you know, uh, minorities or marginalized communities. But uh, yes, it can be in, in, in intentional. But when you start to look at exactly what they are and how they may manifest, you know, you start seeing some elements in our regular workplace behavior. Um, you know, when it comes to even uh, sexual sexual harassment, you know, any kind of conduct that is un unbecoming, like, you know, those are all types of microaggressions at the workplace as well. So we, then we start getting a little bit deeper into, you know, what harassment, you know, what harassment means in that context as well. Um, so I don't think there's like necessarily a lack of understanding, but there's just more of a uh, an increased awareness now in terms of how broad those things could be, right? Um, you know, and, and there's impacts, right? There's impacts of that, you know, you know, both socially, culturally, and um, as well as environmentally. I mean, uh, um, we, there's such a thing called like environmental, you know, microaggressions, right? Um, we have to really be aware of our environment sometimes. We don't know sometimes that some of the perhaps images or pictures or uh, uh, or information we have up perhaps may be offensive to um, another group. What what does that mean? Um, it's 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 an awareness piece. Can you give me an example of that? Are are you talking about maybe a decoration in an office or something like that that uh, you may not realize the providence of it? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. It could be. Yeah. It could be. It could be something like that. I mean, it could be pictures. It could be a number of things. But when we when we talk about environment specifically, so I'll I'll, I'll break it down the example like this. So when you have an office that 
has, you know, certain amounts of furniture here, there, and everywhere in such a way that if someone who is in a wheelchair would have to navigate, it's almost impossible. And if you're someone who works um, in that particular office environment where you cannot even navigate yourself, you're, you're very, the very environment that you're supposed to work in um, becomes a big barrier for you. Most of the time, you know, as able-bodied people, we don't, we don't think about a lot of these things, right? Uh, we don't think about how, um, although it, you know, may look good in the office, but, you know, is that enough length? Is that enough width? Should we have an individual who works here? Or should we have a client who comes in, you know, who may have uh, uh, accessible needs? I just uh, spoke with one of our student reps, Chris Schifoni at uh, University of Guelph Humber, and he's, he's blind. So he advocated for the entire university to put Braille on all of their doors, which they didn't have before. And again, he was the first blind student there who ever suggested something like that. And no one had thought of it until he did. And that's why we have these conversations, because more people do need to speak up. You know, the questions do need to be asked. Right. And I definitely applaud. Um, I definitely applaud that gentleman, you know, for that. Right. Because you, you don't know what you don't know. And sometimes we need that heightened awareness and, you know, more so if someone who has a lived experience can explain to us and tell us the importance of it, 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 it does resonate better at, at times, right? So I definitely, uh, uh, definitely applaud that. I think that's, uh, you know, that's, that's a good move. And as people, you know, develop new infrastructure and renovate, you know, these are the things that they have to be keeping top of mind. I think that's one of the big questions that we end up having, right? Is that the people with the lived experience who can tell you, you know, this is what I need in this space, right? Those are the people that we should be listening to. But also we tell ourselves, you know, let's not make, you know, the people who are in those, those marginalized communities do all of the heavy lifting. So is, there a, is there a balance where you can do the work yourself while listening to those voices without demanding that those voices explain it all to you. Yeah, yes, absolutely. I mean, I, I think just, uh, I mean, and I think you summed it up quite, quite well there, Eric. I, I think uh, um, a lot of it does have to be um, in, intentional, you know, uh, consulting and, and asking people of different groups their experiences is not a terrible thing. But the key word you said there is, is heavy lifting. And for a long time, uh, that has been the case where, you know, when there's problems, it's usually to the group that's having any issues or concerns to figure it out and do most of the work required to, to alleviate that. But, you know, now we're talking about real world issues and we end up talking about the importance of allyship and people understanding the kinds of privilege that they have right, and, and using that privilege accordingly. I think from an individual's standpoint, there's a lot of learning that you can do on your own. As an ally, you know, you could be a scholar. A lot, there's a lot of material out there in terms of getting some fundamental basic knowledge um, in terms of some of the things that you want to help further advance, right? But then as an ally, you know, you get to a point where you start engaging with those either organizations or institutions. Look at their, your local organizations and institutions, like whether it's multicultural societies or otherwise, that's always a good, that's always a good starting point to navigate build relationships, and start making the steps towards a better change. Obviously, there are a lot of crises going on in the world right now. And for people of color, especially, there's the dual crisis of COVID and this 
racism that's really come out more in the last few years than uh, yes. I think anyone expected it to. Uh, so, yeah, they're, uh, I think they're discovering a whole lot more about uh, the way that impacts mental health just in general for people of color and for the people who want to be allies to people of color. Yeah, no, and I think it's about kind of first discovering those individual steps of, of how to do that. And the only way change can, can happen is if people do work together and, and allies as well, having the courage and stand with people for, for change. And I, th- I think that may be the, the big takeaway in the end, right, is that, you know, you just have to start the process, right? The, the courage to come forward is really just the courage to start the process and be willing to accept that you're going to make some mistakes along the way. Yes, absolutely. And like I said, you know, whether it's organizations or people, individuals, everyone's at a, you know, at a different journey. Like, I mean, uh, and part of the takeaways when we have this session in a couple of weeks here, depending on what your role is, you know, your your takeaway may be very different. You know, your takeaway may be to like, okay, well, tomorrow I'm going to go look a little bit more in this policy and that policy and see if I need to update it. And for others, it's, it could be it could be different. It could be that okay, well, I know I need to get engaged more at this level or that level. It's it can be different for you know for everyone, right? And it's but it's about making sure organizations that not just that we work with but that we're part of that we understand their values and they understand our values and our values are connected towards a just society, which is what we want. We want to move beyond making blanket statements and showing it in action and what it means when organizations fully embrace diversity and inclusion and work towards combating racism in all its various forms, right? But Eric, that starts with education and, you know, people uh, having a willingness to, to, to want to learn more and to participate. The sense that I get in terms of people who want to do this kind of work and people who accept that this is necessary I think that we talk a lot about systemic racism at the moment, right? And the way that systems are built that devalue marginalized communities and so on. I think that the people need to see in getting involved in something like this is that systemic racism is massive. It's a huge thing. There are giant systems in place that, that cause this. But wherever you are and part of the organization that you are in, you are part of that system. Yeah. And so you can do something, you know, which is relatively small relative to the massive overarching economic factors, policing, what have you. But in your organization, that organization is part of the system and you can do something there to make this change start to happen. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's what, you know, part of empowerment is, right? And and you're right. I mean, the system, we, 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 we refer to the system in many contexts that people say, sometimes people say, okay, well, the system's not working, or the system is broken. I, I don't say the system is broken. It's not, the system was not built for us. And for us, I mean, you know, for marginalized communities and racialized groups. Um, and, and that's why it's so ingrained in nature, right? And it's, it's, a, it's a dismantling of something that wasn't necessarily built for your success, right? Mm-hmm. And having to adapt to having to adapt to that. Um, and there's many things to consider. And, and those gaps over the years 
where what has it brought to us now right it has brought us where these massive education gaps employment gaps to racialized communities is that fair no what is the solution yeah it's you know dismantling the systems and fixing some of the policies before a few years ago before the truth and reconciliation commission report came out you know did we hear often and uh, at all or did we hear at all people doing any kind of land acknowledgments when it came to indigenous land no right no it's 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 only been because of this last part of heightened awareness and and really need for acknowledgement of you know of 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 where we are right and we're still learning and we're still learning along those lines well i think we want to get there together we're going to start with your workshop in a couple of weeks what is the workshop called uh it's essentially starting a courageous conversation uh starting a courageous conversation and like i said it's a it's an introductory workshop where we're going to talk about the elements of diversity equity and inclusion and you know do some reflection and see how it applies to to our work to our everyday lives to our school and what impacts we can have as community leaders and community citizens as a whole to to continue to impact this change and and bring awareness to to much needed things and and action against racism and all the many things that are hurting us. Well, I look forward to that conversation and uh, we will put uh, more information in the show notes here uh, as we go along and as that information becomes available, but uh, coming up in a couple of weeks. November 5th and 6th. No, thank you very much, Eric. I, I look forward to it as well, and I also look forward to learning. TK Manimo, who will be hosting a workshop for the CPA on diversity, equity, and inclusion, November 5th and 6th. Many thanks to TK, and stay tuned for the workshop details, which will be released on the education page of the CPA website, on the show notes of this podcast, and of course, on social media. Join this important conversation with us and let's move forward together.